0: So we're beginning now, Chapter Six in Shar in the Sharya of Amunah, the, the Gates of Unity and Trust. The we kind of, in a certain way, deviated from the flow that the Tanya wanted to go, and we sidetracked in the in the idea of the two components within creation and how they work together. and as we discussed, some very fundamental ideas within the way we view creation and view our reality came from that, but the Altareb and Tanya itself still never fully dissected the two components independently. So, in chapter four, the began, and the idea that he's trying to still go back to the initial concept where he's reiterating the the idea how creation doesn't change God's unity. And to do so, we are explaining how the reality that we see or the independence that we feel is only from our perspective and not from God's perspective. On God's perspective, even after the world is created, there is still no change in his reality. His creation never steps out of his reality. And to explain this concept, we were we introduce the idea of the two forces of creation, which are symbolic by the two names of God. The first name is the name of Havaya, spelled out in Hebrew as Yud Hey Vav and Hey, and the second name is the name of Elohim. So the first name, Shem Havaya, is, as described in Kabbalah and in many places, is the prime is a reflective of the mode of kindness, the mode of revelation, the mode of giving within God, and that is the active force of any sort of revelation, creation um, that exists. To counter that, though, we quoted a verse that describes the name, uh, the two names of God as the sun and the protector, the shield, or as we explained, the environment, that the light itself sometimes can be too strong to be perceived as is and there needs to be a filter so that the one receiving the blessings can receive it in a healthy way and the in the names of God the act of refraining holding back or to limit God's revelation that is done through the name of Elohim. you would like to ask something ask something? yes I want to make sure I heard you correctly Havaya. Yeah, Have so the name you the name spelled out as is, is not a way that we ever pronounce it. Um, so, so the even the name Elokim, I'm not pronouncing it as spelled because out of reverence, we never, unless we're in midst of prayer, even other names of God, which we do pronounce, we don't pronounce as actually written. So I'm interchanging the Hey with the with the Kuf. Um, but the name of Avaya itself, that name is considered because it's the mode of God's revelation is considered the holiest name of God. And even throughout history, the only person would ever pronounce that name would be the high priest in the temple during you know certain services. Um so that we never really pronounce that name as written. But what's referred to it, the nickname for that name is the name of Havaah because it's the same letters just spelled out differently. But is it okay to say Yod, hey, vav hey? That's just spelling it out. Okay. Okay. Um, so that But just... basically, when I see that, Havaya, it's telling me that it's also known as Yod Yeah, it's referring to the name of God that's spelled as Yod Okay. And then Elohim, I understand what it probably is. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Elohim is the same. You it would, it would change out the K with an H. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Um, so again, the reason why it's not in the actual versions is because out of reverence, we're not we're studying, we're not praying, so we're not going to pronounce it as is. So we're going to try to stick to the bold, and uh, I am going to. I'm not going to. There are certain sections today also that I'm going to avoid. I want to keep to the theme. And not get too lost in the Kabbalistic terms necessarily. Um, but Sephirot, just Julia, for your reference, Sephiroth and Sefira. Saphirot is plural, Sefira is individual, is referring to the um the different modes of God's re- expression. So when we speak about kindness, severity, and so on, the ten modes of expression, that's the sephirot and uh okay. right. So back to back to our discussion. So again, so in chapter four, we were introduced to the concept that we have two modes of God, one representative in the name of Havaya, the other represent the name of Elohim. And after we mentioned a little bit about the function of Shem and the function of Shemel, but we, we've digressed a little bit. So he's coming back now to refocus on what the role of the name of Elohim is. So here in the bold, the divine name Elohim corresponds to the attribute of gvura and constriction. So the act of refrainment that happens within creation, as we discussed, the fact that we don't um that the revelation of God is limited and it's kind of hidden to us, that's done, that's an act of shame Elohim. And one of the references to the what of uh, the role of the name of Elohim of uh, the God the name of Elohim does is, is represented, is that and therefore it is also numerically equivalent to the word of Hateva, which means nature. So if you take in Hebrew, the Hebrew letters also act as numbers. We don't have a separate numbers in Hebrew, kind of like Roman numerals. So if you take the value of the letters. Of the word of Elohim and the words of Hateva, nature, you'll have the same exact number. And men, especially in Kabbalah, a lot of times we we connect the we the connection between two things can also be found in the numerical equivalence between them, between them. So, what is the role of nature? You think for a second. What is what? When does something become natural, and what is something unnatural, a supernatural? It's in a certain way, it's very much just the consistency on how something happens. Nature is something that happens consistently, and therefore we take it for granted that it kind of is running on its own function. But the act of nature is very miraculous. And if you take for a second to think about, all the wonders of nature, you realize the miracles, the countless miracles that happen around us. Nature declares the glory of God. Right. But it's easy for someone to use, so nature doesn't negate God's greatness. It's just, it's easy for some, but yet when we look around, we call the ru- rules of nature, we're able to use that term because they happen consistently. And this is in so many areas within our life. The things that we're usually hard to be grateful for are things which are constants in our life. Someone that grows up within wealth usually doesn't always appreciate the blessings of wealth that he has around him. And so in so many different ways, does that mean they're not blessings? No, it's just the consistency is a means of concealing the blood can be a means of concealing the blessing. And in this way too, Elohim, the concealment within our life, the apps where we see absence of God, sort of say is not a actual form of absence. It's just God interacting in a way which we feel hit an absence of him. And that's, the role of shem elohim just like nature just the consistency of it meat could sometimes conceal the blessing so so to elohim the interact the way god interacts with us is in a way which allows us to feel that he's absent and why is that since the name elohim conceals the supernal light that brings the world into existence and sustains us so that it appears as though the world exists and functions according to the natural order So it's intently doing so in order that we should feel that there is a natural order to things. Again, why is this so important and crucial? Because God wants us to have a personal relationship. God wants us to feel that we are kind of on our own. So in order to do so, he needs to conceal himself a little bit so that we can find him. So it's kind of like a very mature version of hide and seek, right? God can't be found unless He's hiding in plain sight. And usually, as an adult playing with a child, the child's never really out of sight, and the child's never really, you know, lost the father or the parent, but the parent is hiding from the child. So the child feels like the parent, the 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 uh, parents is hiding. And the same thing with us within creation. God created the world in a way in which he's the one creating and he's also the one hiding so that we feel that absence so that we can build that relationship with. Now, what's interesting, if you think about this, the action that Elohim, that the, the function of shame Elohim, while it's sort of say the act of severity from God, is it an act of severity or is it also an act of kindness what do i mean by that in life we tend as especially as a child things are very black and white when a child is being treated nicely that's nice when a child is being punished that's bad and they also see the person punishing them as bad right or in life as well there are moments in time which are which are overtly good then there are things which are painful. And pain, by default, our mind associates with negative, with something negative. Now, in reality, though, is those uncomfortable times is good and bad really defined just by how we feel or by the mode that they're being done in. And the truth is it's very lot more complex. Pain can be a good thing and pain could also be a negative thing. When someone is, as I probably shared this before, when someone is exercising, if there's no pain, then they're probably not really fully working out. And when someone is hurt, if they're feeling pain, then usually it's something that can be treated. If it's an injury to the extent where they lost pain, they lost feeling in a certain limb, that's not a good thing, right? So there, it's. Every, there, a lot of things are very relative. Discipline is could be very painful or uncomfortable, but it's crucial for our health and so on and so forth. So in everything, there's a perspective, understanding when we could see the bigger picture of what's going on, things which may seem positive or negative may not actually be that way. And over here, too, God is holding back. So that seems like a bad thing. Why doesn't God just reveal everything to us? But the reality is if God would just reveal himself as is we wouldn't feel we wouldn't have our independent existence we wouldn't be able to build that relationship that we want to have with God we wouldn't be able to have the reality that we have today so God is not hiding because he's trying to be difficult to reach he's not hiding because he wants to just he wants to just give us a hard time he's hiding so that we can exist so his concealment is also an act of kindness. His act of concealing is also a form of kindness. So as expressed over here, this name Melochim is the shield and sheath for the divine name of Avaya to hide the light and life force that are drawn from the name of Avaya and bring creation from nothingness into existence so that the light and life force will not be revealed to creative beings and cause them to become subsumed in the divine reality. So indeed, this quality of Gevura and constriction is also an aspect of the attribute of Pesed, from which the world was built, and this constitutes Gevura encompassed in and Chesed. So this act of Gevura, which is constriction or being harsh, or in the most literal term, is being strong, of harsh brashness, is not actually a brash act. It's also an act of kindness. I want to preempt the next bits. I'll see if we read it inside, but I want to explain the concept outside, which is a, a I think is a beautiful idea, which he's bringing out over here. In life, there's or at times we can, as I said, things can, we can define terms very much in black and white. There's good. There's bad. There's pain. There's happiness. There's happy, sad, or so and the like. One of the most beautiful things in reality is when we can find the connection between opposites. For example, in food, you have sweet and savory foods. So usually you'll define sweet and savory as two separate cuisines. But then there's also sweet and sour meatballs or where the cuisines you have something which encompasses both cuisines in the same bite. And that's usually a piece of mastery or in life fire and water for example don't really coexist they tend to stomp each other out this re- the reality of opposites clashing with one another are only are, is only the truth in when they're limited to their reality as is but a, when you're coming from a godly perspective or the creator which is beyond any limitation, which is beyond the constrictions when you're dealing with the person who writes the rules or with cuisine when you're going to the chef. If you can play with the rules and you're not constricted, if you're not the one who's reading the recipe, you're the one writing the recipe, then you can blend cuisines and styles together to create something which is extraordinary. So within cre- when it comes to godliness, one of the biggest signs of a positive growth or healthy growth is when there's a fusion between what would seem as opposites. If someone is only kind and can't find any restraint, then they're usually giving in a very self-indulged way. If someone is extremely restrained and cannot find kindness, they're also usually being very self-indulged. From God's perspective, Kindness and restraint are both part of his modes of expression. So to f- infuse the two together is not a challenge from God's perspective. So God can be restrained and still acting from a place of kindness within the same time. I, I want to bring this parable, but I'm I, I science was not my expertise and throughout schooling. So I don't want to botch this up over here. But from what I from when we look around at you know, most of reality, we tend to see a lot of different items, a lot of different things. But when you break it down within science and you start looking at microscopes, everything is made up from atoms and particles. And at the core of everything is, uh, from what I understand in science, they're breaking it down to the essence of everything to be more and more one sort of atom at the core of everything. When we live within the reality of, face value of what things are it's very easy to get lost in the way it appears so kindness is kindness severity is severity and they are two separate things but if you're able to tap into the core of it you're able to realize how much things are connected and united and can be fused together so an act of godliness an act of usually also will present within us as a sense of humility is when things tend to fuse together. The more things fuse together, the greater um the greater statement that they're infused with godliness in it as well. There's a you know when while well, there's a very there's a concept in Torah study called the pilpul. The pilpul is a kind of in-depth talk analyzing different texts. What's considered the most um, you know, the most impressive people type of thing within Torah studies. If someone can take a question from multiple different areas of Torah knowledge and Torah study from multiple different tractates of the Talmud, the more the merrier and fuse them and answer them with the same question. Why is that so impressive? Because as multifaceted as Torah and our life is, realizing that there's a core which is uniting everything together is the ultimate sense of a a godly perspective. So when it comes to our modes of expression, within God's mode of expressing, there usually you'll have things will be infused one with the other. God won't act solely out of kindness or solely out of restraint necessarily. There always be a fusion between multiple elements. And it's within our lives too. We can reflect this as well, the way we interact with people. To think about how are we, you know, think about are we fusing, are we blending our emotions, our expressions, the mode we work with people, are we doing it in a he- the most healthy way? Are we, for example, the, in this very simple element, are we fusing our kindness that it's being given in a way that it's healthy for that other person as well? Are we just giving because that's how we feel and that's what I want to give? And when we are being restraining or we have to discipline, are we doing it from a place of kindness, right? So when there's fusion between the different modes of expression, they're usually coming from a healthier place. And here he goes into, uh, it's. I don't want to get, it's a little Kabbalistic terms, but this is the idea I'm trying to say. He's saying the fact that God's actions, the modes are infused one of the other is a sign how they're really all connected in the core. So... With that said, any questions on what we're saying until now? All right. So, based off this introduction, understanding that the concealment in our reality that we feel independent is a result of, um, is a result of of God Himself acting, kind of like I mentioned. I think in the last couple of weeks is kind of like God playing peekaboo with us, where He's covering Himself with His own hands. It's not an external thing that's hiding. It's God is hiding in plain sight. So God's absence is never felt by from God in any time in creation. It's only our reality that may feel that absence. Based off this, we can revert back to chapter 1, where the beginning of chapter 1, the Tanya started off with a question. And the question was, there's a verse in Deuteronomy, which says that, you should restore to your heart that the Lord Havaiah, is Elohim on the heavens above and the earth below. And there's nothing, and there's no other. And the question we had what is the verse telling us, which is so monumental that we have to take it to heart? When you read it, the literal translation, take to heart that God is God. I mean, we know that from the first of the Ten Commandments. God said we should believe in God. You know, you open up a Bible, a Chumash, there is no lack of reiterating that God is God. So what is the special mitzvah that's being told over here that Moses is telling the people, take to heart that God is God? And the second question we had, what's the inference or the fact that we would think that God is that uh, that we need to re- reiterate that God is God in the heavens above and upon the earth in the depths and no other. I mean, that's part of the basic concept of monotheism that there's only one God. So, what is this very, the Hashivosa Restore to your heart. Take to heart the fact that God is God and in the heavens and down in the depths below. So, after our introduction now to creation and the way God interacts with creation we can look at this verse from a whole different perspective. And that is, is that we're talking, there's a nuance. It's saying over here, take to heart that Havaya is Elohim. Meaning that, so let's read it inside. This is the meaning of the verse, and restore to your heart that the Lord Havaya, he is God Elohim. It means that these two divine names, Havaya and Elohim, are actually one. It's when one looks at creation, one may possibly discern or assume that there's two different modes that there's that there's that the reality, God's reality, and are the absence of God are coming from two different places. And what the mitz the Torah is telling us over here is that the revelation of God and the constriction of God is one, is actually the same thing. It's the same act of God. It's coming from they're both acts of God essential in creation both acts of God being kind to us that since the name Elohim which constricts and hides the light is also an aspect of Chesed just as so the name Havaya is Chesed. There isn't both the when God is creating the world and when God is interacting with us, the same God which is Reveals himself, or revealed himself to our forefathers, and gives us life is the same God, which is also restraining, and it's coming from the same, same exact place, and this is something which different philosophers and even a mono, even a monotheistic belief, there is different. There were throughout history. The, People had different approaches on the even today go through the monotheistic religions on the way God interacts with the world. Or in some, and within the Jewish faith, it's important to realize that God, in all elements of a creation and existence and of our reality, God is intimately involved. The same God which created the world initially is the same God which is constantly creating the reality that we live in and is the same God which is bringing about both the, sort of say, positive and the negative of our reality. He's both the light and the dark, as we mentioned in the past. He is that, both of that is him. And that's via Yom. take to heart that the revelation and the constriction, they're both one. They're one thing that work harmoniously and are essential one for the other. So with regard again to the verse, the first statement that the verse is saying is realize that both the revelation and concealment of God is coming from God himself. There's a no point is another force or a secondary force playing a role in the way God interacts with us. And if that's so, subsequently, you will inevitably realize that in the heavens above and the earth below, there is no other. This means that even the material earth, which appears to be a substantial reality in the eye of an observer, is reality, absolute nothingness in the relation to the Holy One, blessed be He. The key question that we began the Tanya with and what Shari Yichud is addressing is the perspective or the notion that after creation, there's a change in God's unity. You know, God is the only existence. Now that the world is created, now we exist too. So now there's us and God, sort of say. So how is it possible that we feel that we exist and God doesn't change at all? So based off this introduction, we relook at this verse, and this is what the verse is referring. Because our reality, our existence is a dependent upon God. And the only fact that we feel separate from God, is because God hides himself in plain sight. So therefore, our reality is only felt because of the way we feel. From God's perspective, who is making it all be, we're still just an extension of him and a part of him. We never stepped out of the zone. Because in creating us, God never had to step out of himself to make us feel how we are. And therefore, from God's perspective, no matter how spiritual or how material, there is nothing outside God. Absolutely nothing. I've had this parable like sticking in my head, and I want to like say it, and I hope it's not off point over here. But the concept of nothing is a, or not being, or this concept of feeling as independent and so on and so forth is, I think, a great parable for this. Is within the human body. What's a sign of a healthy person is usually when we don't feel anything, right? If everything is communicating, the blood is flowing, you know, the the brain is sending the signals. If everything is operating, we usually don't. We hopefully don't. Fe- we don't feel really our body. If we're having, you know, if so, if if someone's having digestive issues or there's a blood is not flowing properly, or there's, you know, signals missing, all of a sudden, we start feeling pain or cramps, or so on, or the like within ourselves. So feeling is a sign of absence. And in reality, this is very much part of spiritual growth. Or, you know, sometimes people complain, you know, that, you know, if like with news, for example, they say no news is good news, Right. So when things are running smoothly, we'd sometimes take it for granted or lack the appreciation. That's usually a healthy sign. A healthy sign is when you're not feeling things. And within spiritual growth as well, if we're not feeling ourselves, that's usually a good sign. The less of ourselves we're feeling, that means we're in a healthy place. If everything has happened and starts becoming all about me and me and me and me, that's usually a sign I'm not in a healthy place. So within, rea- within God's creation as well, if everything would be straight top-down, God reveal himself as is, everything would be beautiful, but we also wouldn't feel ourselves at all. In order for us to be feel that we exist, God had to create, sort of say, an unhealthy situation where he's not felt as much. And now we can feel that we exist. But just like the body now that the is feeling the pain, did it become now detached from the body? Hopefully not. And if a doctor says we got to cut out, you know, cut, you know, if so your hand is hurting, oh, so we'll just cut it off, you're probably going to say, no, 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 no. How do we figure out how to keep it attached, right? So within our reality, too, even though we feel independent, that doesn't mean we step, we're detached from God in any way, shape, or form. We're part of God, just we're feeling our own, we feel, our own independence and our spiritual pursuit is to realize that we're part of God and and be able to let go of the selfish and self-motivating factors within our life and to be more wholesome and more at peace with ourselves and with God. And just like when our body is getting more healthy, it feels less and less of itself as well, right? The limb, which is ill. So, Over here, this is the reality that the message that the Torah is trying to tell us over here. And it's not something which happens just because, and even like we're listening maybe even to the class and everything's making sense. But then when the Amazon delivery comes later, doesn't come on time, we all of a sudden get all upset again, right? So life tends to hit us and and kick us uh, around a bit. And it may be hard to keep this reality in check, but this is the message of the Torah, take to heart, first of all, understand it, and then learn about it in a way which it becomes now something, part of your emotional reality, is the fact that our existence is one, that both the good and the bad, our personal life, is one gifted to us by God. And at no point in time is God absent, whether it's on our highs, in the heavens, or in the most mundane area, everything is within God's reality. So back to we're digressing a little bit how this relates to us in our personal life but back to the more um, the philosophical question here about how god doesn't change because of creation for the name elohim hides and constricts the light and life force only for the lower creations and not relatively to the holy one blessed be he since he and his name elohim are one the concealment being that god is the one concealing himself from us is only concealed like the parent hiding in the game of hide-and-seek, is only hidden for the child or for creation. But for him, he's never hidden. He knows exactly where he is, and he sees how we all are coming, how we're created and how we're a part of him. And therefore, he retains the same unity after creation as before creation. And therefore, even the earth and that which is beneath the earth are literally absolute nothingness in relation to the Holy One, blessed be He, and are not fit to be calling by any name whatsoever even not in a term other, which is an expression indicating of inferiority. Um, Basically, it's not even like a topping to the cake. It's absolutely not. There is no separate independence. And what it means by this is as follows. I'm going to skip here a little bit. Um, A lot of times we'll give a parable for creation to the life within the body, right? When you look at a person, what is What defines a person? Is it their life, their soul, or their body? We can maybe have a debate about this, but then it was in the way Kabbalah or Hasidus will explain, and hopefully within our lives, our consciousness is who we are, and our body is a vessel for our conscious to be expressive and to exist. So the body acts while it has its own independent thing, and the ultimate existence of a person is his consciousness. And the body is there as a servant and a vehicle for a person to exist and function within. And in the same way, a lot of times we'll give the parable for creation and the world, that the world and all of creation is like the body, but was reliant at the end of the day, the godly force within it is the primary thing. The issue with this parable is that the body and the soul are at the end two independent things and that's why when a soul passes on the soul most of the soul leaves the body and the body stays behind there the life to for the soul to live within this world it's dependent on the body but the body's existence is not fully dependent on the consciousness of the soul so over here while the life life of the body is dependent, there is an existence to the body independent of the soul itself. And over here where she to preface is that when we talk about the relationship between God and creation, there is no element where God is giving animation to something. Even that which is being animated is a part of God. So this is what the Torah is Kind of prefacing, preempting of nothing ain't owed, nothing other. That the existence of creation and reality is not even in a way where God is animating, God is the life force, and therefore it's totally dependent on God and it's not a contrary to God because God is, as soon as God pulls it away, it has no power of its own. But even the most material part of the existence is also part of God. There is no part of our creation which is not intrinsically part of God himself. And therefore, the existence of the world and the existence of creation is not in any way a hindrance or an addition to God because it's all within God's reality. So as he says over here, for the soul itself does not bring the body from nothingness into existence, right? In contrast, the body and soul relationship, the body has its own independent existence. However, with regard to the Holy One, blessed will he, who brings everything from nothingness into existence, everything is subsumed in his divine reality, just as sunlight is subsumed in the sun, where there is no way of separating. Just like when you look at the sun and the sun itself, you can't really separate the sun from the light of the sun because they're so interconnected, intertwined with one another in another, our reality, and our creation all of existence is a part of God himself, okay? So that's chapter six of Tanya. Next week, we'll move on to chapter seven, and he's going to build a little bit more on once we've set the stage of the perspective of oneness from God's perspective, and then we're going to try to also from our perspective, from the creation creation's perspective as well.